0: The media turned the New Zealand white supremacist terrorist attack into a referendum on President Trump. Kirsten Gillibrand experiences predictable failure to launch, and President Trump goes wild on Twitter. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Oh, man, lot of news to get to today. Beto O'Rourke blowing it out in the fundraising on his very first day. We'll get to that. Plus, more good news for Beto O'Rourke. Apparently, all data from MySpace 2003 to 2015 has disappeared. So apparently Beto's hacker friends got to it. I see no other explanation. We'll get to all the news in just one second. First, let's talk about an unfortunate fact. We are all going to plots. I know, we just had a nice weekend. You don't want to think about that. But here is the reality. If you don't think about it, if you're not an adult, then you are going to be caught up short if, God forbid, something happens to you. More importantly, your family will be. Getting life insurance can be kind of difficult. This is why you need to talk to my friends over at Policy Genius. Policy Genius is the easy way to get life insurance. In just two minutes, you can compare quotes from top insurers and find the best policy for you when you apply online the advisors at policy genius will handle all the red tape for you they will even negotiate your rate with the insurance company no commission sales agents no hidden fees just helpful advice and personalized service policy genius doesn't just make life insurance easy they also make it easy to find the right home insurance the right auto insurance the right disability insurance they are your one-stop shop for financial protection so if you find life insurance puzzling head on over to policygenius.com in two minutes you can compare quotes Find the right policy. Save up to 40% doing it. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. Once again, that is policygenius.com. Be responsible. Go get some life insurance right now. You can take care of it. Just pause the podcast and take care of it right now. Policygenius.com. Policy Genius is the easy way to compare and buy life insurance. All right. So last Thursday night, obviously, Western Co- West Coast time, there was this horrible, evil terrorist attack in New Zealand. A white supremacist goes to two mosques and shoots and kills now 50 people. The death toll has been raised to 50. And the entire West mourns because this is an act of evil. And this, as I said last week, should be a moment of unity because when there are tremendous acts of evil, then we should at least grant the credibility that the vast majority of human beings in the West are saddened by an act of evil and are not sympathetic to the killer. How many people did you see who are sympathetic to the evil white supremacist supremacist murderer On Friday, did you see any? There really, pretty much nobody, pretty much nobody. Yet the media decided that this was an opportune moment to push a political narrative. And this is one of the worst aspects about our polarized politics. That is whenever there is a flashpoint, whenever there's an incident, the media immediately jumped to which narrative does it back and can we support that narrative with other pieces of evidence or non-evidence? Can we draw a narrative from a flashpoint? So in Ferguson, Missouri, where a white police officer shoots a black guy, They immediately draw a narrative. White police officers across America are racist. The criminal justice system is racist. In the United States, when there is a shooting on a congressional baseball field, however, and Bernie Sanders is the person whose name is in the killer's mouth, then it's not about Bernie Sanders. It's not about Bernie Sanders' large-scale radical rhetoric. Nothing of that comes up because that doesn't back the narrative. Okay, so what are the narratives that the media wishes to draw from New Zealand? We talked a little bit about this on Friday because it was pretty obvious that the media were attempting to draw a narrative. Their original narrative was going to be about gun control. Then they realized that New Zealand actually is relatively gun controlled, and it's a bad, it's a bad example. If you're going to choose a country that requires gun control, New Zealand is probably not that country. They have 1.2 million guns and 35 murders a year in the entire country of New Zealand. So it is not a perfect example of a country that desperately needs gun control. Nonetheless, the country will look at gun control. So that took the narrative off the table. The secondary narrative was going to be a narrative about Islamophobia, the idea that all across the West, there are people who deeply hate Muslims. And because there are people who deeply hate Muslims all across the West, they led this white supremacist to go around shooting people. Now, what the left labels as deep hate of Muslims is anyone who points out that radical Islam, not Islam itself, radical Islam is a problem or points out that radical Islam is not just a tiny fringe phenomenon inside the Muslim community. That if you look at the global Muslim community, if you look at places like Afghanistan or places like Iraq or places like Iran or places like Egypt or places like Saudi Arabia or places like Qatar or places like the UAE or places like Jordan or places like Oman or places like Yemen, if you look at any of those places, what you will see is that radical Islamism is not actually a fringe phenomenon alone. And if you look at Pew Global Research polls of how people believe, what you see is that a large number of people in a lot of these countries, Pakistan, Afghanistan, 99% of people in a, in a poll of Afghanis from 2010, Pew Research poll, thought that honor killing was okay. Okay, that is extreme. By any definition, that is extreme. Now, if you point that out, the idea is that, that pointing that out led to what happened in Christchurch. That is an absolute slander, and it is an absolute lie, and it is disgusting. It is disgusting. Now, it's very funny, because the same exact people who five minutes ago were suggesting that you are not allowed to use anti-Semitic language the way that Ilhan Omar uses it, but... People who point that out, that people who point out that Ilhan Omar uses anti-Semitic language are actually trying to shut down the debate over America's foreign policy with regard to Israel are today trying to shut down any sort of talk about radical Islam generally. Now, today isn't necessarily the day to talk about radical Islam, although radical Islam had itself a weekend. There was a terrorist attack in Israel. There's now a terrorist attack going on in the Netherlands. Both of them have been linked to radical Islam at this point. But... It is true that in the wake of the murder of Muslims, that is not the time to talk about radical Islam. But that's true on every side. That's true on every side, meaning that if you are somebody who wants to question whether radical Islam is a dangerous phenomenon across the world, tying that to a white supremacist murdering a bunch of innocent Muslims at a mosque in Christchurch is a pretty vile tactic. And yet that is what you saw across the media. That is what you saw across the media. I'm going to start with some students confronting Chelsea Clinton. So Chelsea Clinton made the mistake, this terrible, terrible mistake. What was her terrible mistake? Chelsea Clinton said that Ilhan Omar had been anti-Semitic. Ilhan Omar is the Muslim congresswoman from Minnesota who is an anti-Semite. She has three times in the last two months humiliated herself with open anti-Semitism. And the last time... She did it so obviously and so clearly that the Democratic Party was on the verge of condemning her. And then the radicals in the Democratic Party stood up and they said, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. We're not going to condemn her. We'll take her name out of the resolution and then we'll turn it into a resolution condemning every bad thing on planet Earth, including Islamophobia. So Chelsea Clinton was one of the people who called out Ilhan Omar for using anti-Semitic language. Well, students confronted Chelsea Clinton and they are blaming Chelsea Clinton. These students, they are blaming Chelsea Clinton for the shooting in Christchurch. Hey, this is how radical the radical fringe of the left is. Chelsea Clinton is somehow to blame for a white supremacist shooting up a church in Christchurch because she called out anti-Semitism from Ilhan Omar. This went viral over the weekend. Students confronting Chelsea Clinton.
1: After all that you have done and all this on the that you have soaked. I'm so sorry. Well, certainly, it's never my <laughs> intention. I do believe, words matter, but I believe we yeah, have to show We do matter, and this, this, this right is, here is the result of a massacre stoked by people like you and the words that you put out into the world. And I want you to know that, and I want you to feel that deep inside. 49 people died because of the rhetoric that you put out
0: there. You can hear people snapping in the think, background.
2: What does, I'm sorry you feel that we
0: mean? What does that mean, What is she supposed to apologize for? She's supposed to apologize because she called out Ilhan Omar for being anti-Semitic. So if you call out a Muslim, for being anti-Semitic, then you are responsible for the murder of other unrelated Muslims who are not being anti-Semitic in Christchurch. And then these two people, the people who are are going after Chelsea Clinton, for goodness sake, I mean, how radical is the left? They're making me defend Chelsea Clinton now. Okay, this is unbelievable. These two people were given a platform in BuzzFeed News, a platform to explain why they called out Chelsea Clinton for the shooting in Christchurch. BuzzFeed News Posted a, a piece by these two radicals, whose names are Lynn Dweek and Rose Asaf. And it says, Why we confronted Chelsea Clinton at the Christchurch Vigil. Here's why. Yesterday, we posted a video of Leanne confronting chelsea clinton at a vigil for the victims of the white supremacist new zealand mosque massacre today we woke up with over a hundred thousand people talking about it on twitter needless to say this is not what we expected well it sort of was we went to the vigil for one reason to grieve the loss of innocent lives that were stolen from this world by vile hatred we wanted to join our friends and colleagues in a time of heartbreak and agony to remember the 49 muslims who were murdered for being Muslim, We did a double take when we first noticed Chelsea Clinton was at the vigil. Just weeks before this tragedy, we bore witness to a bigoted anti-Muslim mob coming after Representative Ilhan Omar for speaking the truth about the massive influence of the Israel lobby in this country. We believe Ilhan Omar did nothing wrong except challenge the status quo. But the way many people chose to criticize Omar made her vulnerable to anti-Muslim hatred and death threats. We were shocked when Clinton arrived at the vigil, given that she had not yet apologized to Representative Omar for the public vilification against her. So Ilhan Omar was a wounded innocent in all this. Chelsea Clinton was the offender. And because Chelsea Clinton called out Ilhan Omar for being an anti-Semite, this supposedly led a white supremacist to murder people in halfway around the world in New Zealand. Many have said it was unfair to connect Chelsea's words to the massacre in Christchurch, these two dolts right? To them, we say that anti-Muslim bigotry must be addressed wherever it exists. That includes Chelsea Clinton. Okay, a couple of quick notes. A couple of quick notes about the two people who were just given space in BuzzFeed to harass Chelsea Clinton some more. Okay, it turns out that, these, that both of these people are deeply radical in every possible way. And they got their defenders, of course, from the radical left and, and their friends, the, the folks over at the Intercept and such. So a couple of things. Dweek tweeted out, quote, you're, you're only interested in demolishing Israel, not in finding a solution Uh, demolishing Israel is a solution. So the same people who are calling out Chelsea Clinton for supposedly being anti-Islam, for calling out Ilhan Omar, are themselves deeply anti-Semitic to the point where they are calling for the full demolition of Israel. The full demolition of Israel. It's unbelievable. Okay, and the other woman who wrote this repeatedly used the term, the F word for, for gay people in the United States. But those people were given a platform by BuzzFeed News. It's just wonderful. And th- this sort of dishonesty was endemic in the media, endemic. Okay, hey, Linda Sarsour did the same thing. Linda Sarsour, radical, anti-Semite, and by the way, friend to terrorists, right? Legitimately has, has stood with terrorist Rasmia Oda on stage and hugged her and all the rest. Linda Sarsour tweeted out, I am triggered by those who piled on Representative Ilhan Omar and incited a hate mob against her until she got assassination threats, now giving condolences to our community. What we need you to do is reflect on how you contribute to Islamophobia and stop doing that. So you see how this works? The idea now is that if you criticized Ilhan Omar for being an anti-Semite, somehow you were responsible for the massacre in Christchurch. That is the most extreme wing of of this push. But that is not the... That is not the leading edge of the push. That is not the mainstream of the push. The mainstream of the push is that anybody who has criticized radical Islam in any way is somehow responsible for what happened in Christchurch. I'll get to that in just one second. First, let's talk about the fact that our federal government is simply out of control, out of control on every possible level. Congress is filled with crazy people. It's a nightmare, and people are tired of complaining about it, and that's why I'm a big believer in calling a convention of states where we the people can propose amendments. Yes, amendments that could force Congress to stay within its boundaries, could force the executive branch to stay within its boundaries. The fact is that the founding bargain, that there would be checks and balances between the various branches, that founding bargain has been eroded over the course of centuries. And it is time to restore that founding balance so that the legislative can check the executive, the executive can check check the judiciary, and all the way around. That's why we need a convention of states. It's the only way to get a job done. There are already 3.8 million people with us on this more every day. So join me and my friend Mark Meckler. Go to conventionofstates.com slash Ben and sign the petition today. That is conventionofstates.com slash Ben. A lot of folks talk about how exactly this would work. It is a fully constitutional provision under Article 5 of the Constitution. It was designed to work this way. It hasn't been taken advantage of, but now is the time for us to stand together and restore some of those constitutional balances and checks. Conventionofstates.com slash Ben to sign the petition today, conventionofstates.com. So as I say, the most radical wing of the, of the left is suggesting that people like Chelsea Clinton are responsible for Christchurch. The mainstream of the left is suggesting that people like Sam Harris and I are responsible for Christchurch. And so there's a piece over at the New York Times in which a guy named Omar Aziz, writes a piece called Our Brother, Our Executioner. And he suggests that anybody who criticizes Islam as having an internal problem is responsible for the situation in Christchurch. He says, Islamophobia is not a fringe problem. It is embedded in much of Western society. For over two decades now, the the span of an entire generation, the whole Muslim community, has been forced to accept collective guilt and punishment for every act of terror or violence committed by one of its members. Never would or should this standard be applied to white people who seem to have kept the privilege of individual differentiation for themselves. I don't know where he's getting this. This is a lie. Muslims are safer in the West than they are in the Muslim world. And the fact is that in 2017, in 2017, Islamic extremism caused 84,000 deaths worldwide. 84,000 deaths. Nearly all of them were not in the West. That's according to CBS News, a new report from the Council on Foreign Relations, the global extremist monitor produced by Tony Blair's Institute for Global Change. And the fact is that Muslims in the West are not only overwhelmingly treated well, Just as Jews in the West are overwhelmingly treated well, even if there are anti-Semitic attacks from white supremacists on occasion. This notion that widespread Islamophobia is dominant in the West because there are people like Sam Harris who ask about the nature of Islam or Bill Maher who ask about the nature of radical Islam or people like me who point out that polling data show that radical Islam is not a tiny, tiny, tiny phenomenon. that, That attempt to expand the argument is really in bad faith. And not only in bad faith, counterproductive because the fact is that if we refuse to call out radical Islam, then radical Islam does grow in the same way that if you refuse to call out white supremacy, white supremacism grows. You have to call it out. It's important to call out this stuff. That's what provides protection for actual non-radical Muslims. And at the same time, you can call out an ideology and also say that innocent people should not be killed under any circumstances. It's astonishing that folks in the media refuse to acknowledge this fact. In a second, I'm going to show you how the media are, are contributing to this narrative. So, for example, going back to Ilhan Omar for a second. Ilhan Omar is radical on Israel. She's not just radical on Israel. She's an anti-Semite. She's an anti-Semite. And the push from the left is that if you criticized Ilhan Omar, this meant that you were actually anti-Islam. That a criticism of Ilhan Omar made you an Islamophobe. Now, again, this is hilarious because the same people who defended Ilhan Omar will say that being openly anti-Semitic does not make you anti-Semitic. But certainly, if you're anti-Israel, that is not anti-Semitism. Or if you say anti-Israel things, that doesn't make you anti-Semitic. That's a proposition with which I generally agree. But those same people will say that if you criticize Ilhan Omar, then you are anti-Islam. The Washington Post just gave a full op-ed space to Ilhan Omar to talk about her foreign policy. I don't remember them doing the same thing to Steve King. I don't remember that at all. And yet, that is something the Washington Post is pushing, because the generalized narrative the media wish to draw is that what happened in New Zealand is the predictable result of Islamophobia in the West. The same folks will say that that radical Islamic terror attacks are not the predictable result of the growth of radical Islamist ideology, but they will suggest that radical white supremacist terrorist attacks are the growth of white supremacist ideology in the West. Now, here's my view. The growth of radical ideology has consequences no matter which ideology we are talking about. I've worried about the growth of white supremacism for years. I've been talking about it openly since 2015, 2016. It's been four years I've been talking openly about the growth of white supremacy and white supremacism online. I'm glad that some people are finally arriving to the party. But the fact is that the media narrative here is not truly directed at stopping white supremacism. It's directed at two things. Linking President Trump and the right generally with white supremacism and linking anybody who has critiques of radical Islam with violence against Muslims. And that is not only inappropriate, it's disgusting. It's disgusting. Calling out radical Islam is not the same thing as suggesting that that ordinary Every day, non radical Muslims, innocent people, ought to be killed. That's absurdity at its highest level. And when people point out, I did a video a while back in which I just, all all the video was, was me citing polls of Muslims from around the globe in different countries and talking about the level of radicalism in those various countries. And people say, well, this is Islamophobic. No, those are poll numbers. Okay, I talked about all of this at the University of Pittsburgh not four months ago. And I talked about the various anti-Semitic threats around the globe. And I talked about Muslim anti-Semitism. I I talked about radical Islam. And I pointed out that westernized Muslims are significantly less radical and nearly non-radical in orientation as opposed to Muslims who are living in, for example, Afghanistan. Okay, so this is not a matter of you criticize radical Islam and therefore you're okay with the murder of Muslims in Christchurch. What kind of insanity is this? And again, we only apply this logic on the level of the media when it is convenient to a narrative that the West is radically anti-Islamic. Which again, if you've seen the response of the West to this terrorist attack, I'm, I'm failing to see it. Honestly, I'm failing to see it. Where are the people who are out there defending it? Where are the people who are saying we should ignore the actual terrorist attack? Where, where is that happening? You know, the fact is that inside the Islamic world, inside countries that are governed by Islam, there are Muslim terrorists who are killing thousands and thousands and thousands of people every single year to no generalized public outcry. The reason there's outcry in the West is because this does not meet the West's values. Everybody in the West knows this. And when we look at people like this white supremacist piece of garbage, citing the West as a rationale for his actions, we look at him, and we say, you are a disgusting human being and your ideology is disgusting. The West is unified against this sort of stuff and attempting to draw lines in order to make political hay is really pretty vile stuff. Now, the easy in for a lot of folks on the left is, of course, attacking President Trump. And that's because President Trump is a, is a clod who says cloddish things. But if you're going to blame President Trump for the shooting in Christchurch, I don't know how you get there. I really don't know how you get there. Unless you are also going to blame Bernie Sanders for the congressional baseball shooting. You're going to have to explain how President Trump called for violence against people who go to mosques. Because Bernie Sanders used radical language against everybody who doesn't agree with him on economics or climate change. We don't blame him for the congressional baseball shooting. Does that mean that his language is appropriate? No. Doesn't mean that President Trump's language is appropriate. No, it doesn't. But trying to link him to white supremacism and shooting attacks in New Zealand is really pretty gross. And not only is it gross, it's exactly what the shooter wanted. So I said last week that we shouldn't discuss the manifesto. We shouldn't go out of our way to talk about the, the disgusting ideas in this killer's manifesto. And I meant that because that's what he wanted. What he wanted was for his ideas to get out there. I was perfectly fine and and more than fine. I thought it was important to label this a white supremacist terror attack on Muslims. I was very clear about this last week, but I didn't think that it was necessary to go into the details of his manifesto specifically because he says in the manifesto that he wants to divide Americans from each other. He wants to divide people in the West against each other. And so he was using his manifesto to do this. And the media were complicit in that. They decided they were going to jump on this, too. And they were going to cite a line in which he said that he admired President Trump. And they were going to use that as a way to suggest that everyone who supports President Trump, as well as President Trump himself, is somehow responsible for what just happened in Christchurch. Here's an entire montage of people in the media racing to blame President Trump for an action he had nothing to do with.
1: The shooter, according to these reports, specifically invoked our president, as an inspiration,
2: there's an intolerance that's being spread in this country, in this world, and it comes from the political dialogue. Let's be clear, it comes from political leaders. Words have consequences like saying we have an invasion on
0: our border. The language he uses in this manifesto is all about invaders. It's also language that President Trump used in a campaign ad before the midterm election. Yeah.
1: You have a president who, when he was a candidate, talked about banning Muslims from entering this, uh, this country. So
0: this is a president um, who has given plenty of rhetorical ammunition, I think, to terrorists like this. OK, a couple of things. One, you'll notice that a bunch of these media figures and political figures like Bill de Blasio are out there citing President Trump's calling the southern border an invasion as a rationale for all of this. This wasn't an attack on illegal immigrants, number one. Number two, I can disagree with the president on his use of the word invasion. I don't think this is an invasion. I've forcefully spoken out against that sort of language. But to link the president's border policy with the shooting of Muslims in New Zealand, forgive me if that seems like a bit of a stretch. Now, in a second, we'll get to President Trump's rhetoric itself, the quote unquote Muslim ban and all the rest. First, let's talk about Bravo Company Manufacturing. When the founders crafted the Constitution, the first thing they did was to make sacred the rights of the individual to share their ideas without limitation by the government. The second right they enumerated was the right of the population to protect that speech and their own persons with force. You know how strongly I believe in these principles. I'm a gun owner. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility. Building rifles is no different. Bravo Company Manufacturing was started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago to build a professional-grade product that meets combat standards. BCM believes the same level of protection should be provided to every American, regardless of whether they are a private citizen or a professional. BCM is not a sporting arms company. They design, engineer, and manufacture life-saving equipment. They assume every rifle leaving their shop will be used in a life-or-death situation by a responsible citizen, law enforcement officer, or a soldier overseas. Every component of a BCM rifle is hand assembled and tested by Americans to a life-saving standard. To learn more about Bravo Company manufacturing, head on over to bravocompanymfg.com. That's where you can discover more about their products, special offers, and upcoming news. That is Bravo Company MFG.com. If you need more convincing, check out videos about them at YouTube.com slash Bravo Company USA. That is Bravo Company USA. Bravo Company MFG.com. YouTube.com slash Bravo Company USA. So as you see, the media are attempting to broaden the narrative. So it starts at the very outer edge with Chelsea Clinton is responsible for Christchurch because she said mean things about Ilhan Omar, who's an anti-Semite. And then it was moved into everybody who has ever said anything about radical Islam is responsible for what happened in Christchurch. And now it's President Trump is personally responsible for what happened in Christchurch because of his language about invaders, because of his language about the invasion of the country. And Don Lemon on CNN was trying to say this. He was saying that the New Zealand terrorists looked up to Trump, and therefore this is President Trump's fault.
2: The Suspect in the murders of at least 49 people at two mosques in New Zealand posted a manifesto online before staging his rampage. It's a white nationalist creed filled with hateful messages against immigrants, minorities, and Muslims. There's a reason why this shooter, in his manifesto, says that Donald Trump is the renewed symbol of white identity who shares a common purpose. What could be the common purpose that the President of the United States of America, Donald Trump, who says, I think Islam hates us and calls
0: Mexicans rapists and criminals, could have with the white nationalist shooter who shot and killed 49 people. I think it's fairly obvious. There's a couple of things that are... Right, and there's, there's Don Lemon. It's totally obvious what the connection would be. Okay, a couple of things. One, is President Trump's language good on this stuff? No. Has it been good on this stuff? No. I condemned it when he said it way back in 2015 when he was talking about Muslim um, when he was talking about a full on Muslim ban, we said it's time to ban Muslims from the country. I said that is stupid and wrong. By the way, his actual practical ban is not a Muslim ban. Only five of the seven countries on the travel ban are Muslim and they are the same seven countries named by President Obama. So that so the actual policy implemented is not reflective of the language. Was the language good? No, the language was never good. Okay, but that's not the same thing as blaming him for the shooting in Christchurch. I don't remember, again, anyone in the media saying, you know, whose name was on the congressional baseball shooters lips, Bernie Sanders. Why? Because it didn't match the narrative. And we can condemn language, and we should condemn bad language, but trying to blame bad language for a white supremacist shooting people in Christchurch is is a real attempt to tear apart our civilization. It really is. We should be condemning bad ideologies. We should be actively fighting those bad ideologies. But that is not the same thing as blaming President Trump for an event he did not have anything to do with over in New Zealand. And of course, the the goal here is to proclaim that everyone who then supports President Trump is also a white nationalist. Now, let's be clear about this. President Trump has, of course, condemned what happened in Christchurch. Here's what President Trump had to say about it when it happened.
2: I think it's a horrible event. It's a horrible thing. I saw it early in the morning when uh, I looked at what was happening in New Zealand. I just spoke, as you know, through the prime minister. I think it's a horrible, disgraceful thing and a horrible act.
0: Okay. Obviously, President Trump is not big in favor of of all of this. But with that said, should the president give some sort of address on the nature of radical Islam versus regular Islam? Should he give an address on why Muslims are full fledged citizens of the West? Sure. I don't see why not. I mean, the guy's got time, obviously. He's tweeting like crazy. I think that that would be a good thing for the president of the United States to do. But make no mistake, the media's goal here is not to actively tamp down the aspirations of the white supremacists. They are parroting his claims so that they can use them for politically divisive purposes. They're doing exactly what the white supremacists wanted them to do. He says so in the manifesto itself. It was enough to simply call out and say, listen, white supremacism is evil. This person was evil and white supremacism should be called out wherever it's seen. But to try and turn it into a baton to wield against people who are critical of radical Islam or Ilhan Omar or people who support President Trump Okay, that's that's obviously done in bad faith. And, and that is pretty terrible stuff. It really is. OK, let's talk about 2020. So there's an amazing disconnect between what happens in the political commentariat and what happens in the real world. Beto O'Rourke raised in his first day in the race, in his very first day in the race, Beto O'Rourke raised, I kid you not, six point one million dollars. Yeah, I think that calls for some Beto music. That's right. All right. So Beta O'Rourke raised six point one, three, six million dollars in online donations from all 50 states on his very first day. That is the number one total. It tops the five point nine million dollar one day haul for Senator Bernie Sanders. The other closest 2020 Democratic candidate, Senator Kamala Harris at one point five million dollars. Now, that gives the lie to the suggestion that he had not raised a lot of money. This was the suggestion made last week when O'Rourke was asked specifically about it. And he sort of deferred. He said, I'm not going to talk about that. Now, the media have turned on Beto. Beto has issued about 37 apologies in his first 48 hours campaigning. For example, Beto said in one of his appearances that his wife did most of the raising of their kids, which seems to me a compliment to his wife, not, a, not an attempt to degrade his wife. Nonetheless, crazy people went, went nuts over this. How dare Beto say that his wife did most of the raising of his children? Just absurd. So Beto apologized for that. So here's Beto doing that.
2: It, it's, it's absolutely valid criticism, and it's constructive criticism. It, it, it has already made me a better candidate. Not only will I not say that again, um, but but I'll be much more thoughtful going forward in, in the way that um, I talk about our marriage and, and my ham-handed attempt to try to highlight the fact that Amy has uh, the lion's share of the burden in our family, that she actually works um, but is the primary Parent in our family, especially when I served in Congress, especially when I was on the campaign trail, should have also been a moment for me to uh, acknowledge that that is far too often
0: the case. Okay, so there's Beto apologizing. If you don't, if you can't get enough of Beto apologizing, I have some more for you. So here's Beto <laughs> apologizing for his failure to acknowledge his own white privilege. So this will be the Beto O'Rourke apology tour.
2: Uh, as I've shared with with others, and certainly became a topic of conversation in the Senate campaign, I have been arrested twice in my life, uh, one for attempted criminal trespass and another uh, more graver offense of driving while intoxicated. Those mistakes didn't end up defining me or narrowing my options in life. And it's not because I'm a great person or I'm a genius or i figured anything out. A lot of it has to do with the fact that I'm a white man, uh,
0: that I had parents who had the cash to post bail at the time. A a lot of people don't have that. Okay, so there's Beto apologizing for being a white male, so that's very exciting for him as well. Now, the media have been jumping on this. Wow, look at all of Beto's gaffes. So many gaffes. Here is the problem. They already let Beto out of the cage. Okay, Beto is out of the cage. You spent two years building him up as a Senate candidate against Ted Cruz, and now you want to shove him back in the cage because you don't want him to be the nominee. Too late, my friends. You built it. You bought it. Okay, we'll get to more of that. I will prove this to you in just one second. But first, you're going to have to go over to dailywire.com and subscribe. So for $9.99 a month, you can get a subscription to Daily Wire. Also, before I go further with the subscription pitch, let me note that my new book, The Right Side of History, details the crisis of purpose that is happening right now in Western civilization. If you want to know how we got here, how we can get back, pre-order today at Amazon, Barnes and Noble, any major bookseller. I cannot wait to share it with you. I'm going to discuss it at length. On the show tomorrow, we have a big event happening at Reagan Library as well tomorrow. I know that it's been pre-selling like crazy, and I hope that you buy a copy. I really think it's an important work, and I think that in a time when the West itself is being seen increasingly as a bad thing, when people are attacking the West or when people are deliberately misinterpreting the West to mean racial, tribal polarization, it's important to know what the West was originally supposed to be about, how it has broadened over time, and how it has become better over time, and how it has made the world a better place. Go check it out, The Right Side of History. That is available right now at any of your booksellers. Also, you can check out, if you want a signed copy, you can go get one at premiercollectibles.com slash Ben Shapiro. We're doing a live book signing tomorrow. And if you buy a signed copy of the book, then we may answer your question, actually. You don't have to be a subscriber for that. But you should subscribe. Why should you subscribe? Well, for $9.99 a month or $99 a year, not only do you get this podcast live on video, like the entire thing, you also get two hours more of me every single day on-demand, commercial-free. I mean, that's a lot that we are putting out there for you. And you get to ask questions, and you get to have, if you spend from the annual subscription, you actually get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels, the Leftist tier's Hot or Cold tumbler. You can go check that out right now. It's pretty awesome. You will enjoy it. So go check out all of those wonderful things. Subscribe over at YouTube and iTunes. When you subscribe, by the way, you also get our Sunday special early. You get it on Saturdays, which means you could have seen me with Dr. Phil on Saturday as opposed to waiting to just hear it in the audio on Sunday. All sorts of great stuff coming up, and I can't wait to share it with you. So go check it out right now. YouTube, iTunes, leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the largest, fastest-growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. So there's an attempt to shove Beto O'Rourke back into the box because Beto O'Rourke is, of course, a privileged white male. I pointed this out last week, that there were a couple of rich lines of attack on Beto O'Rourke. Now, I underestimated his popularity because I thought, come on, really? Like, this guy? Him? I sort of feel like Michael Bluth in in Arrested Development looking at his son's girlfriend. Her? Uh, Beto? Really? Him? Huh? Okay. I guess. But here's the funny thing about this. The media who are now attempting to paint Beto O'Rourke as a child of privilege who doesn't actually have any positions on the issues. They made him. So you'll recall all the way back to 2016. I know you're older than th- than four years old. So you'll remember all the way back to 2016, when the media did the exact same thing with with President Trump, hilariously enough against Ted Cruz. They figured, okay, we'll build up President Trump. We'll spend a billion dollars in free media coverage on Donald Trump because dude's a joke and people will figure it out. And eventually, they'll decide that they're not interested in him, but first we can use him to get past some of the more serious Republican candidates. And then by the time they tried to push him back in the corner, they couldn't. Well, nobody puts Beto in a corner. Nobody puts Beto in a corner. Hey, Reuters... This is the best evidence ever. So Reuters is now coming out with this story about how Beto O'Rourke, when he was a teenager, was into hacking. Well, there's a story from Reuters in which they reveal that they had all this information years ago. Quote, Reuters reporter Joseph Menn exclusively revealed on Friday that Democratic presidential candidate Beto O'Rourke belonged to one of the best known groups of computer hackers as a teenager. Within minutes, his special report was the most popular story on Reuters.com here and was picked up by other news outlets. But the origin of the story goes back more than two years. Members of the group, which calls itself Cult of the Dead Cow, protected O'Rourke's secret for decades, reluctant to compromise the former Texas congressman's political career. After more than a year of reporting, men persuaded O'Rourke to talk on the record. In an interview in late 2017, O'Rourke acknowledged he was a member of the group on the understanding that the information would not be made public until after his Senate race against Ted Cruz in November 2018. What in the actual... So, let me get this straight. A Reuters reporter said, here is some newsworthy information. I will bury it until after your election with Ted Cruz. And that's what the media were doing with Beto all along. They were building him up. Beto is indeed a lightweight. One of President Trump's favorite terms. Beto O'Rourke has no original thoughts. Beto O'Rourke is not. a a shiny example of deep thought. Honestly, if you want somebody who is capable of intelligent thought on the Democratic side side of the aisle, it seems to me the most intelligent candidate on the Democratic side of the aisle is that mayor of South Bend, Pete Buttigieg. Pete Buttigieg. Buttigieg. okay, that guy actually seems kind of smart. But Beto O'Rourke is not it, but it's too late. The media built him up as a media phenomenon. And now all of the people like Jake Gyllenhaal who were wearing Beto for Senate t-shirts back in 2018 are donating money to Beto again. The media spent their attention building this guy up to fight Ted Cruz. And then it is too late now to shove him back in. They can't do it. There's no way to get him back in there. Now, Beto can be a gaffe machine from here till Election Day. And that is what he is doing. For example... Beto said yesterday, like offending everyone on every side of the aisle, that if you have an AR-15, you should be able to keep your AR-15, but you shouldn't be able to buy a new AR-15, which makes no sense to anyone infiscated in either gun confiscation or protection of Second Amendment rights. But here is Beto making that claim yesterday.
2: We allow people in this country to buy weapons that were designed... Engineered and sold to the United States military for the express purpose of killing people as effectively as possible in as great a number as possible. Now, if you own an AR-15, keep it. Continue to use it responsibly and safely. I just don't think that we need to sell any more weapons
0: of war into this public. Okay, so, you know, at the same time, if you so you can keep it, it's a weapon of war, an evil, evil weapon of war. But also you should keep it. This guy is the one you built up and now you own it, guys. Now, here's the truth. Beto O'Rourke will do well among suburban women. If you were going to actually, if you were actually going to select among the Democratic candidates most likely to be President Trump, Beto would probably be up high on that list. Why? Because he does appeal to suburban women. He's got this kind of softer feel to him. He's not quite as hard edged as a Bernie Sanders. He's not an open socialist the same way. Still, the the Twitterverse is not reality. Once again, Twitter, online world, not reality. And Beto proved that with his fundraising numbers for sure. Now, the GOP, I don't know who's running the social media accounts over the GOP, but all I can say is that it is ridiculous. Okay, like, what are you doing? Why would you do such a thing? So so in honor of St. Patrick's Day, the GOP decided to indulge in a little bit of making fun of the Irish, which is just a genius tactic. Very, very smart stuff. So here is what the GOP tweeted. They tweeted out a picture of drunk Beto from back when he had his DUI in the 90s. And he's got a he's got an Irish leprechaun hat and a four leaf clover on his head, or three leaf clover on his head. It says underneath, "Please drink responsibly." And then they tweeted out on this St. Patty's Day a special message from noted Irishman Robert Francis O'Rourke. What are you even doing? What is wrong with you people? Like, legitimately, this is stupid politics. I know there are a bunch of people who love memes, and so they're ah ha 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 ha. I understand. You think it's funny. All right. You know what else is not really funny? The fact that there are lots of Irish people in the United States who may not be pleased with the notion that they are all drunk louts and that Beto O'Rourke is representative of them on St. Patrick's Day. Just, just absurd. Just absurd. So everybody being incompetent at their jobs, well done all around. Okay, meanwhile, the other Democratic candidates are preparing their own runs, some successfully, some less successfully. Joe Biden sort of let it slip over the weekend that he was that he was going to run. And here's the problem with Joe Biden. His best day will be his first day. Let's get some Joe Biden music. Oh, yeah. That's going to be Joe Biden's run because he's going to be tripping over that ottoman every five seconds. He's he's a a giraffe on roller skates, is Joe Biden. And so Joe Biden quasi-launched his campaign by accident. He said that he had the most progressive record of anyone running and then immediately switched. Oh, I'm not running yet. Yeah, we all know, dude, just do it already. Just pull the trigger, enough. You know, I get criticized.
1: I'm told I get criticized by the new left. I have the most progressive record of anybody running for the. Not, if anybody who would run, I didn't mean. Than anybody who would
0: run. Okay, now I, I will note here, he's obviously at a dinner. So you can't take into account the population of dinners as sort of the base of, of the people who are going to vote for that guy. But there's a shot of the crowd. Everyone is between the age of 70 and death at the Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> Beto, however, has a bunch of 20-somethings who are out there dancing, dancing in the moonlight. So not good news for Joe Biden. Beto may have stolen his thunder. Meanwhile, Cory Booker is attempting to go as radical as possible in an attempt to fend off Kamala Harris. It's basically like watching The Hunger Games, this this version of the Democratic primary. There are one million candidates, and only one will survive. Let's get some Spartacus music. There he is. Ah, Spartacus Cory Booker. What a wonderful dude. So, Cory Booker, he came out over the weekend, and he was trying to prove his, again, progressive bona fides that he is a fighter. And the thing about Cory Booker being a fighter is that Cory Booker is constantly endlessly manipulative and so whenever he says something you can feel the gears turning well over the weekend he explained that it was not just enough not to be a bigot you have to be an anti bigot it's not just enough to say i'm not racist you have to be an anti-racist what the hell does this mean i'll talk about it cory it's
2: not enough to say i'm anti- i'm not a bigot you must be an anti-bigot you must be an anti-racist, you must be an anti-racist.
0: now i have no problem with the general idea that it's not enough to, n- to not be racist. You actually have to fight racism. I just have a feeling that what Cory Booker means by that is you have to reflect my policy preferences or I will call you a bigot. I will say that you might not be racist, but you forward the aspirations of racists. And that's where that is going in pretty short order. Booker has no path. I'm not sure even why he's running. There's nothing happening for Cory Booker in this race. Speaking of people for whom nothing is happening in this race, Amy Klobuchar also on the pandering train. And she's bought herself a pander bear. So... Amy, we have some Fargo music for Amy Klobuchar from the frozen north. So she, too, is attempting to now pander. She understands there's an intersectional lane of the Democratic primaries and that she has no chance within it. That's not going to stop her from talking about reparations. So we have half the Democratic field now embracing slavery reparations. In the year 2019, slavery was officially ended in the United States in 1865. Not a single Democrat who backs slavery reparations can explain what the hell it is other than it's a bunch of big government programs I was already proposing just called slavery reparations. Here, Amy Klobuchar does the same thing before apparently beating one of her interns to death with a chair. I believe we have to invest in those communities
1: uh, that have been so hurt by racism. It doesn't have to be a direct pay for each uh,
0: person, but what we can do is invest in those communities, acknowledge what's happened. And that means uh, better education. Uh, that means looking at for our
1: whole economy, community college, one year degrees, uh, minimum wage,
0: um, child care, making sure that we have that shared dream of opportunity for all Americans. Okay, so there she is pandering. Is it going to do her anything good? No. Amy Klobuchar is in the last tier of Democratic candidates. She's too moderate. She's too sane. And also, everything she does to pander just makes her look less authentic. Speaking of which, the least authentic candidate of all time, Kirsten Gillibrand has launched her campaign to the great excitement of dozens, dozens of people across the United States desperately awaiting Kirsten Gillibrand's run. Let's get some Kirsten Gillibrand music. What do you mean? No one knows. She's, she's, all, she's all over the place. She's taken every position on every issue. And she is, utterly, again, utterly inauthentic. So here was some of Kirsten Gillibrand's 2020 launch video, watched by, as I say, her immediate family plus her paid staff.
1: Our anthem calls America the home of the brave. But we don't realize that the lyrics first pose it as a question. Oh, say does that star-spangled banner yet wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave? It asks, will Brave win? Well it hasn't always, and it isn't right now. We need brave a leader who makes big, bold, brave choices. Someone who isn't afraid of progress. That's why I'm running for president. And it's why I'm asking you for your support. Will Brave win? Will Brave win? Will
0: Brave win? Oh, oh, my will Brave
2: win? Brave win. Will Brave, will win? brave, will brave, brave win? win?
1: Let's answer for ours.
0: What one okay, yeah, that's going nowhere. That is that is a that is a rocket blowing up on launch! <laughs> my goodness. Yeah. Uh, first of all, if you are if you are having to quote the lyrics to the Star Spangled Banner in your opening video, my favorite is is these candidates who legitimately can't draw a crowd. Now, what you'll notice about Kamala Harris's launch video or Bernie Sanders's launch video is that they always have a big crowd, right? People who actually cheer for them. Kirsten Gillibrand—it's like her alone in a telephone booth, trying to. This is my my support base. Sure, we started small, but soon, soon, a full hundred people might be with me at some point. Kirsten Gillibrand, I mean, speaking of flip-flopping on positions, over the weekend, she was talking about the NRA. Why? Because of Christchurch, New Zealand, which it turns out New Zealand, not in the United States. Here's Kirsten Gillibrand, however, talking about how we need to call out the NRA in the United States. It's
1: just unbelievable that this president just continues to put fuel on the fire of hatred and bigotry. It's not who we are in our best moments as a nation, and it's not who we should be in the future. So I, I think it's outrageous. And so I... My heart goes out to the victims. It is it is a horrible shooting and another crisis in the in the world. Um, but we need a president who's actually going to do the right things and stand up to the NRA and stand up against hate.
0: I'm old enough to remember when Kirsten Gillibrand got an A rating from the NRA. Wasn't well, that funny? Yeah, Kirsten Gillibrand, that campaign going nowhere. Okay, time for some stuff I like, and then we'll do some stuff that I hate. So a couple. So a thing that I like today. There's a, a very good book about Israel's history. I'm very often asked about. What's a good book to read about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict? That, that conflict, obviously, in the news again, because there was another terrorist attack over the weekend in which a 47-year-old father of 12 was murdered by a Palestinian terrorist, and the Hamas government in the Gaza Strip, which has been summarily shooting its own citizens, decided that they would hand out candies upon the death of innocent Israelis. We ignore that. We're not supposed to pay attention to that. That's, that's very important to ignore. There's a good book about all of this called Reclaiming Israel's History by David Brog. Roots, Rights, and the Struggle for Peace. It is, a, it is a nuanced look at Israel's history, acknowledging where Israel has failed and pointing out where Israel has succeeded. The book is, is quite good. It's an easy read. It's only about 250 pages, maybe. Uh, so go check that out right now. Reclaiming Israel's History by David Bragg. Speaking of which, you know, ju- this goes under things I hate, obviously. But it is amazing to watch as the Western media completely ignore Hamas shooting its own citizens in the streets in the Gaza Strip. They're legitimately doing this. Like, people are finally, finally protesting in the Gaza Strip against the egregious misrule of Hamas. You know, years ago, I tweeted about Israelis loving to build and Arabs loving to live in crap and, and, and bomb things. And I was specifically talking, as I said in that thread, you can go read it. I was specifically talking about the leadership of Hamas. I was specifically talking about the leadership of the Palestinian Authority that would rather its own citizens live in sewage than actually pay to better the lives of those citizens. I was specifically talking about that. That remains true. Okay, the leadership in Hamas, the leadership in the Palestinian Authority would rather line their own pockets and build terror tunnels than take care of their citizens. And now they're shooting their own citizens in the Gaza Strip. Here's what that looked like. Any media coverage of this, guys? Any media coverage of Hamas shooting its own citizens in the Gaza Strip? Nope. None at all. Nope, it's all Israel. Israel's the problem. Okay, time for some things that I hate. Okay, so a couple of quick things that I hate. So there is a senator in Australia, and this senator in Australia is indeed a basket of dung. He's a bad guy. Okay, so this, this Australian far-right senator named Fraser Anning put out an egregious statement in the aftermath of the Christchurch killing talking about how it was Muslim immigration to New Zealand that had caused it, which is just an absurdity and a moral blot and all the rest. Uh, Here is this. So this guy was speaking to the media and he's garbage. But a person behind him, a 17 year old, hits him with an egg. And here's what happens next.
1: When people are getting attacked in their own. uh...
0: (laughs) okay. and then his guys take down the kid. Now, uh, people have, have gone crazy on the politician for this. Now, you should go crazy on the politician for his views. His views are garbage. But If you're going to go crazy on a guy for getting hit in the head with an egg and then turning around and slapping the guy who hit him with an egg, I'm not with you there. I don't think you should punch Nazis. I don't think you should slap eggs on the heads of people with whom you disagree. I think that in a civilized society, we have discussions and debates about this stuff and that violence in response to viewpoint is a terrible idea. This is a bad idea. So, you know, people who are all over the guy, for be all over the guy for his views. Don't be all over the guy for turning around and slapping the kid who hit him in the head with an egg. The kid got what he deserved for for slapping the guy in the head with an egg. Now except for what happened afterward. Apparently, what happened afterward is that this guy's goons then beat the kid up. That, of course, is inappropriate and absurd. So many things can be true at once. One, goons, once the guy is subdued, don't beat the crap out of him. Two, don't slap your political opponents in the head with eggs. Three, if you act in self-defense, even if you have bad views, that is still called self-defense. All of these things can be true at once, but everything is gross. Okay, final thing that I hate today. So J.K. Rowling has now decided it is time to make her books retroactively intersectional. So that's exciting. Nowhere in her books does she talk about Dumbledore being gay. But you remember a few years ago, she suggested that Dumbledore is gay. Now, this is not coming from a Harry Potter Potter partisan. I'm actually not a huge fan of the Harry Potter books. I think that they are overwrought. I think they are overlong. They're just not, I'm just not a big fan. But she's now talking in her, she's now talking for the special features for the upcoming Fantastic Beats, The Crimes of Grindelwald Blu-ray. She reveals that there was a sexual dimension between Albus Dumbledore and Gellert Grindelwald. Like, this is a thing now. So she's now going to—she didn't write it in the books, and it's not in the movies, but she is going to actively—we're now going to learn that Hermione was black. She just didn't know it. Nobody knew it, that Hermione was black. Because, obviously, it turns out that, that Hogwarts was not intersectional enough. Dobby was transgender. It's very exciting to learn all of these things retroactively. The fact that the media allowed J.K. Rowling to get away with this nonsense is really astonishing, doesn't it? Demonstrate how exploitative SJW nonsense is, meaning that all she has to do is throw out there that these characters, who she never characterized in this way, are actually all these things the the SJW left wants them to be, and then they're like cheer, and then they're cheering. <laughs> shouldn't they have criticized her at the time for not making the characters openly that way? I mean, if you want a transformative world, wouldn't you want J.K. But She's getting off easy by simply not writing any of that stuff so that I can buy these books for my eight-year-old. And then later, she'll tell us that Dumbledore was gay and get all the SJW plot. It's, it's pretty pretty astonishing. I am looking forward to learning about the sexual peccadilloes that were happening in J.R.R. Tolkien's Middle Earth. I need to know about Sauron's sex life. I think it's deeply important. I need to know if Hobbiton was was a seamy bed of vile undertakings. I need to know about all of these things. Is very, very important. So um, I look forward to hearing from the Tolkien Estate. What, what an inane, stupid world we live in. Okay, we will be back here a little bit later this afternoon with two more hours. Also, make sure that you go pre-order my book because you don't want to be one of the unlucky people who wants to buy the book when it runs out of stock. It's the right side of history. Go check it out at any bookstore. It comes out tomorrow, or you can buy an autographed copy at premiercollectibles.com slash Ben Shapiro. That comes along with the benefit of maybe being able to ask me a question in tomorrow's live book signing. So go check that out right now. We'll see you a little bit later today, or we'll be here tomorrow with you. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. And our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019.
2: When you spend too much time on the internet, you can have all your ideas reinforced by people who agree with you and find that the people who disagree with you become abstractions that you're free to hate. That's what happened to the shooter in New Zealand. It's also what's happening to the mainstream media. I'm Andrew Clavin, host of The Andrew Clavin Show. We'll be talking about it there.
0: We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, let's say you were a stormtrooper and you were enjoying a nice meal of roasted Ewok in the Death Star mess hall. Well, all of a sudden you hear the voice of Alec Guinness saying, use the force. Luke. The next thing you know, the entire place is going up in flames around you. And it's at this moment you really wished you had life insurance. Make life insurance part of your financial planning this year. Start shopping right now with Policy Genius. Find the right policy and protect your family. Policy Genius makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from top companies and find your lowest price. Luckily, Policy Genius helps you compare your options from top companies and their team of licensed experts. Well, they're on hand to help talk you through it. No added fees. Your personal information remains private. It's super satisfying to check life insurance off that to-do list. A good life insurance plan can give you peace of mind that if something happens to you, God forbid, your family will be able to cover mortgage payments, college costs, or other expenses. Life insurance through your workplace might not offer enough protection for your family's needs. It's not going to follow you if you leave your job. Head on over to policygenius.com right now. Save time and money. Give your family a financial safety net with Policy Genius. Head on over to policygenius.com slash or click that link in the description. Get your free life insurance quotes. See how much you could save. That's policygenius.com slash Shapiro.